Welcome to Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Here's your host, D.C. Lundberg. You bet. Thank you very much, Joey Martin. I am D.C. Lundberg. I almost forgot my own name there for a second, but I am the host of Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please remember to download, rate, or brought to you by Built Bar, by the way. Please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to this program on uh, whichever podcasting app that you personally care to use. Ask your smart device to play Locked On Mariners podcast or any program here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. Follow me on Twitter at DC underscore Lundberg, L-U-N-D-B-E-R-G. If you're scoring at home. Joining us once again, Locked On Mariners contributor John Miller. John, how art thou? Thou art doing very well. Thank you, <laughs> kind sire. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, on the last show, we're probably see, and I've been, ladies and gentlemen, to peel back the curtain. I've been kind of recording out of order and not really knowing what show is coming up. But the last episode, I'm probably going to air right before this one. So this is, so if you listen to our last episode, John and I had a great conversation where we started in Minnesota. We went to Toronto. We ended in Seattle talking about Dennis Cook <laughs> and then Jamie Moyer and Terry Mulholland. So why don't we start off talking about Jamie Moyer and Terry Mulholland and talk about some of the, um, you know, the pennant races that the Mariners were able to enjoy in the mid-90s and we'll start in 1996. That's the season, John, that I remember most vividly. I really came into baseball and really became a fan at the end of the 1995 season. So I didn't get to enjoy the pennant race, as I'm sure most of you out there listening did, if you're our age at least. And I, and I know that you you know, were on that roller coaster ride, that magic carpet ride, as Dave Niehaus called it, 1995, basically the whole way. So I'll actually ask you this, John. What are your fondest memories from the 1995 season? From the 1995 season, probably my fondest memories would be as the pennant race was coming to a close, the game would be on the television in my house every night. Mm -hmm. And whoever the family was home was kind of huddled around in the living room. We were eating dinner in there, or if it was game was going late enough, okay, well, we're making popcorn and we're watching the game. <laughs> and then as we get into the division series then, I distinctly remember my sister and I having to, and I don't mean to be crude, having to time our bathroom breaks. <laughs> So you wouldn't miss anything. the commercials in between innings. Right. <laughs> and I'm sure you were not the only like, ones doing that. And we had two bathrooms, so it's like, okay, they got the out, run. <laughs> Just in case they called it short or whatever, and they come back, we didn't want to miss a pitch. And that carried on into the championship series. Yes. the um, I, I don't have, you know, very vivid memories of the of the playoffs because I don't, for some reason I just remember 1996 way more than I do anything in 1995. But when you talk about the Mariners' playoffs in 1995, obviously the double is the first thing that I think springs to everybody's mind. And then Edgar Martinez's grand slam. And though this technically wasn't the postseason, Luis Soho's everybody scores play. Yes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and the other part about that one, and um, everybody use the, uses the word ironic incorrectly, 
And so at risk of doing that, I'm not going to say it was irony. But starting for the Angels that day was um, Mark Langston, who was traded to the Expos for the package of players that included Randy Johnson. And they opposed each other in that game. And I thought that that, I guess, dichotomy was very, very interesting. It, it was. And if those of you out there have access to Root Sports, they have aired it a couple times already. Mariner's Spotlight, where Rick Riz will be interviewing a former Mariner. In this case, he was interviewing Mark Langston. Mm -hmm. And they got to talk about that. It was really great to hear about Langston being a Mariner, but then playing against the Mariners and now talking about it years later. I, I recommend that to you. Absolutely. And speaking, I guess, pardon me, some more on Mark Langston. He and Alvin Davis in 1984, I believe, were one and two in the Rookie of the Year race. And it's kind of a shame that they didn't tie, quite honestly, because they were both they were both deserving of the award. Uh, they were both excellent. Mm-hmm. And again, and also in 1984, talking about Langston and pitching, Dwight you had Dwight Gooden in the National League who was also putting up just, you know, striking out people left and right as a rookie. He, I think it was 19 at the time. Langston was in his 20s. He's a little older than, than, than Doc Gooden. But the two rookie pitchers in each league kind of fighting it out for the league strikeout crown, that doesn't happen every day. No, it doesn't. And looking back at that footage, because... I was obviously an infant at the time, but <laughs> looking back at it, it mm-hmm. is just great to watch the clips of Langston and Dr. K. And yes. And actually, when I think about it, they were very similar pitchers at the time. They were both power pitchers. Doc Gooden had a little bit more velocity than Langston did, and they both had um, a power curveball. You you know, although you know Dwight Gooden right-handed, Mark Langston was left-handed. So in that regard, they're different, but their repertoires and the way they went about it very similar. Incredibly, and you mentioned their curve. Yes, I love watching called strikeouts, especially <laughs> when you can get the curve in there and the look on the batter's face, just like where did that one come from? Mm-hmm. And, and when. No, it's coming from a great pitcher like that. Absolutely. I could not agree more, which is why I was very happy when the Mariners picked up Aaron Seeley before the 2000 season, who had that big 12-6 curveball, which he could paint on either corner for a strike, for a called third strike. That, that type of pitching is has always been much more interesting to me than just people who you know, simply blow people away and don't necessarily know where the ball is going. Randy Johnson certainly was a power pitcher, but he also had that backdoor breaking ball that he could use against right-handed pitchers that would just, you know, nip the the outside part of the plate that looked like he was on the other side of the left-handed batter's box, and it would just snap back and strike three, you're out. Yeah, his slider was nasty. You couldn't hit it. Well, actually, I take that back because Rex Hudler... Did pretty well against Randy Johnson, and I remember one game that he played against the Mariners in 1996, where he actually hit a home run off the big unit off that slider, and it may have missed its location by just a little bit. But he went back to the dugout saying, "Don't give up on his slider," meaning if you think it's going to be outside, stay on it because it's coming back. And 
people couldn't do it. Aside from Hudler, obviously, but it was very tough not to give up on, which was which is what made him so dom- dominant because you had to account for that. Absolutely, the sudden movement on the pitch, and when he could mix that with that tremendous fastball that was bordering triple digits at times. Mm-hmm. And then if he would throw his changeup, which not his best pitch, but still, when you can do that and be throwing in the 95 plus and then drop it down to 85, <laughs> that will really throw batters off. Oh, you, and you really got something, especially with his this tall frame. It's all arms and legs coming at you. Although his delivery was a lot more controlled at that point than it was earlier in his career, but he still had very, very long limbs, which made him deceptive, particularly to left-handed hitters. There were, By that time, managers would, would just take all the left-handed hitters out of the starting lineup and load it with right-handed hitters. In this particular game that I'm referencing, the Angels started one left-handed hitter, Jim Edmonds, and the rest was right-handers. And I don't think there's a better example of this uh, than the Mariners' second ever interleague game, which was against the Colorado Rockies, Larry Walker sat out the, the that game, and he was chasing a 400 batting average at that time. But you know he didn't play in that game, even though he was the Rockies' best offensive player, and that led to kind of an interesting All Star game moment, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, ladies and gentlemen. But first, I am going to tell you about Built Bar. Yes, I'm pretty sure you knew it was coming. Built Bar, great tasting protein. Bars, uh, BuiltBar.com is a place to go to them. I don't think I should have said that that early in the ad, but they're 18 delicious flavors to choose from, uh, covered in 100% real chocolate, gluten-free. The nut-free flavors are made in a nut-free facility, ladies and gentlemen. They are low in sugar, calories, and carbohydrates, and obviously high in protein. They make a great between-meal snack, a quick breakfast on your way out the door, or a pre- or post-workout protein boost. Don't forget about Built Boost drink powder and and built go energy shots all this can be found at builtbar.com and if you use promo code bang your head metal health will drive you mad and nothing happens so just use promo code locked on instead that'll get you 20% off of your order and kevin debro will not come knocking on your door and partying actually he's dead so never mind uh, locked uh, locked on what it's builtbar.com promo code locked on for 20% off of your order of protein bars. Oh my goodness gracious, they're going to love that ad. If you've got a question or a comment, that was horrible. Question or comments sent to LockedOnMariners at gmail.com. I'll read them and reply to them on the air. Questions and comments on any subject, please, especially in the offseason where there's not a lot of baseball news to talk about. We can talk about anything. Uh, PBA event is being televised... uh, Actually, by the time this airs, it's probably going to be over, but on Sunday. Um, it's not a sanctioned PBA event. It's an, it's an exhibition. Still going to be fun to watch, so send in questions and comments about that, about curling, anything you want to. Just remember that it's a family show, so bear that in mind as those comments and questions are sent into LockedOnMariners at gmail.com. This program will resume after something <laughs> What am I doing? This program will be back in a bit. Now time for the second half of Locked On Mariners. Once again, your host, 
DC Lundberg. Thank you very much, JM. Here I am, so to speak, back on Locked On Mariners, joined by the person who's holding up this show currently, Locked On Mariners contributor John Miller. How goes it, sir? It goes well, but you got to take the show. Some of the show's weight off my shoulders. I'm starting to collapse here. <laughs> I will try. I'll certainly try. We left off talking about uh, Larry Walker sitting out against Randy Johnson in 1997. John, uh, Walker, a left-handed hitter, chasing 400 at the time, which led to an interesting All-Star Game moment because they faced each other in the All-Star Game, and you can't set that one out. And as a matter of fact, to set this up, the video clip they played right before Larry Walker's at bat was Johnson throwing the ball over the head of John Crook in the 1993 All-Star Game. They cut back to Johnson being in the middle of his delivery, and that very pitch sails over Larry Walker's head. They could not have planned it better than that. Going back and watching that again, it's... (laughs) You've already said, I don't want to say ironic, but... That, that's what comes to mind. Yes, yeah, a little bit. Larry Walker then took his batting helmet off, crossed home plate, put his helmet on backwards, and set up as a right-handed hitter for one pitch. As <laughs> Randy Johnson facetiously goes to the rosin bag and kind of grins out at Larry Walker. It was, it was a great <laughs> all-star moment. That is what you want to see a- as a fan. The athletes, the ball players, having fun. Mm-hmm. Because it is the all-star game. Yet we're we're serious about it, so to speak. We're trying to win because we try to win every game. But this is a kind of a mid-season thank you to the fans. We've got the best of the best out here, and they're showing off, maybe having a little bit of fun with each other like that, mm-hmm. and showing that while these guys are Hall of Famers, Larry Walker now in, mm-hmm. but... They go from larger-than-life athletes being on a Wheaties cereal box to these guys can joke around, these guys can have a laugh with each other, yet still play the game. That's a very, very good way to put it. And Larry Walker was always known as a player who had a very good sense of humor, not necessarily the practical joker, but a very, very funny man, which which always helps to keep a ball club loose. And kind of bouncing off something that you said about the players you know, having fun and showing the, the fans that, that while they are serious about winning, that they can have fun and joke around at the same time. The 1996 All-Star Game in particular, well, it wasn't didn't have a lot of funny moments attached to it. Uh, and it was two years after the strike, remember, ladies and gentlemen. But the players at that time, Albert Bell aside seemed to have just a certain camaraderie that year. It was Ozzie Smith's final All-Star game. That probably played into it, and he got a standing ovation from both the fans and players prior to his final at-bat. And the manager, who was managing the National League that year? Bobby Cox. Bobby Cox left him in the game to play shortstop kind of a little longer than planned just because, you know, because it was his time. And the shortstop that they still had left on the bench, Mark Grudzelanek, wound up going into the game at third base. And Eric Young and Ozzie Smith wound up turning a double play in the ninth inning. And, you know, they slapped hands, they embraced, and it was a good, it was a great scene to see these guys, you know, doing that. 
after the bitter feelings of the strike. And I think the 1996 All-Star game kind of helped to bridge that gap a little bit. Would you Would you agree, John? I agree. And as I'm playing this back in my mind, having watched it before, yes. I'm very much reminded of the 2001 All-Star game mm-hmm. and it being Cal Ripken Jr.'s final game. It was, yes. And playing back that and... I encourage you to please go look this up. It is very emotional for uh, and for someone like UDC Cal Ripken being your favorite player. Mm-hmm. Yep. Watching in a very classy move, Alex Rodriguez ushering Cal Ripken over to the shortstop position, <laughs> and they they did say a few words. At Cal was many people's hero growing up he was Alex one of Alex Rodriguez's heroes one of his favorite players Mm -hmm. and so to share that moment and put Cal uh, and they kind of had to force him (laughs) over to shortstop again where the position that he had played for so many years as one of the greatest of all time yeah and talking about he kind of had to be forced to go over uh Alex Rodriguez was pointing to the American League dugout. Cal did not want to go, and he was shaking his head. He says, no, I'm not going to shortstop. I'm a third baseman. Alex then points to the dugout, and Joe Torrey's telling him to move over. And Alex is telling him, look, the manager's telling you to play shortstop. You have to. Which is one of my favorite moments from that All-Star game. The other great moment, I'll set it up for you, John, and then I'll let you take it home, was Cal Ripken Jr.'s uh, first at-bat versus Chan Ho Park. What exactly did Cal Ripken do off Chan Ho Park, sir? Cal Ripken Jr. ripped a home run to left field into the bullpen there at Safeco Field. Yes, indeed. And warming uh, there was a pitcher warming up for the American League. It happened to be John Burkett. Burkett caught the ball, and there's now a plaque in that uh, bullpen in what used to be known as Safeco Field, talking about that specific home run. And that plaque was dedicated during Cal's final game in Safeco Field later on in the season. Burkett happened to be a good friend of of Cal Ripken Jr.'s to boot, so it was kind of nice that he got to catch that ball. We can talk about John Burkett's bowling career at another time, but I I don't want to derail the subject that we're on now, which is great All-Star Game moments, or maybe Cal Ripken Jr. We'll see where this goes. But that All-Star Game moment was so special to a whole lot of people, Cal included. He had been in, I don't know, 18 All-Star games, 17, 18 All-Star games. I don't know how many he wound up making, but he was the MVP of this one. He was also the MVP in 1991. That game was in Toronto. And as he was accepting the award after the game, he told the crowd that in all the All-Star games that he had been a part of, that that one was the most special. And that got a huge ovation from the crowd and and me at home I was I I didn't know I don't I don't think I knew what to do. It, it was just an incredible moment honoring a not just a great ball player just a great man like that. Yeah. And have honoring Ozzie Smith as we talked about or Cal Ripken Jr. And it seems like an all-star game is a good place for something like that where it's not during the season we're not taking away from whatever the all-star game is going to be long anyway the tv blocks out long (laughs) blocks of time for it Mm -hmm. 
So we can take the time to have these on-field ceremonies and we have a game MVP, but then we can have the players and the fans rightly pay this player or manager in some cases the honor that they so richly deserve. Yeah, it's always nice to see somebody like Cal or somebody like Ozzie Smith be honored at an All-Star game you know, in that fashion. But we are just about uh, out of time, as if I'm keeping time. But uh, So we're probably a little over time, which is, which is fine. Uh, John, where can people find you on Twitter? I can be found on Twitter at SeattlePilot69. Thank you very much. Thanks again for joining us on this episode and the last one, sir. Always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, sir. And again, watch uh, watch in the future, the near future, for the episode that John is going to guest host, uh, looking back and recounting uh, another great World Series of the past. I think that's probably going to be the subject of our next episode as well, where I or another guest host, I'm not exactly sure, will be recounting a World Series of the past. In the interim, please remember to download Radio subscribe to this program on any podcasting app that may happen to spring to mind follow us on twitter at lo underscore mariners follow john on twitter at seattle pilots 69 and i'm on twitter as well follow me at dc underscore lundberg thanks again for listening ladies and gentlemen we will be back next time hope to hope i i hope oh geez i hope you forget it this is joey martin speaking for locked on mariners part of the locked on podcast network 